Glad that you can make it on Super Bowl Sunday. Get your raise your hands. You're getting excited about all that. You can yell. You're getting ready for that. Yeah. Most of you skip breakfast. You're going to skip lunch because you're saving up for the gluttony that happens about five or six o'clock, right? You got your hot wings going and everything. Also, there's a lot of sickness going around. I hear Fayetteville closed schools. A lot of you are sick, so it reminds me of one of my favorite. Uh, I'm a little sick. One of my favorite uh, musicians, comedians. Tim Hawkins, and so he has a little bit where he talks about, you know, nowadays you can walk into churches and they have um, the gel, what do we call that stuff? Hand sanitizer. And so it just depends. You can tell how, <clears throat> how, uh, what type of size of the family is whenever by the use of the hand sanitizer. So, you know, if someone comes in, it's just a single person, you just get a single pump, and it's like, hey, how are you doing? Glad to meet you. And if it's a family that comes in, they got a couple of kids, it's like, hey, glad to meet you. And then you're like talking to someone and you're like, oh, you got six kids, you know, just kind of spread it all over yourself. And remembering the days whenever if you grew up in church and you went to Sunday school or something, they used to just kind of throw stuff on the floor and let you go after and eat snacks that way. Did y'all have that? Kind of we've kind of changed. Maybe not. Maybe at my church, that's what kind of we did. Anyway, so we're wrapping up our series called Parenthood. We've been spending three weeks. This is our third week on this. And so next week is Disciple Now for our students. And so Ronks will be here and um, leading us in that and also a worship team. And um, then following that, we're going to be digging into Song of Solomon for about eight weeks, looking at Song of Solomon and looking at relationships from the uh, perspective of Solomon, who's someone who did relationships really, really bad. Okay, I know that's not proper English, but he was bad at relationships. And so who better to learn about how to do relationships well than someone who really failed at it? So we'll be doing that. This morning, as we continue our series on parenthood, this Number one thing, number one priority for parents is to gradually, intentionally transfer dependence away from us to rest solely upon God. In other words, to to transfer our faith to our children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Jewish people were told that, hey, listen, everywhere you go, everything you do, whenever you sit, whenever you speak, whenever you go to bed, whenever you sit down for dinner or lunch, wherever you go, as parents, we're opportunities to pass on our faith. And so that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. And this morning, I want us to spend a little bit of time thinking about this idea called discipline. And I know it sometimes seems like a lost art in our world. And, you know, some of you, you probably went to school. And if you acted up at school, you got to go to the principal's office. And they just didn't call your mama. They called your mama and let your mama know how many whoopings, licks you were going to get from the office. Any of you ever had that? All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Right. And so you got to do the whole thing of like, okay, bend over, touch the table and whap. And um, it it was an exciting time. It never happened to me, but I got this lesson and heard about it from my friends that it did happen to. So this morning, as we open up our Bibles in Second Timothy, chapter three, this idea for us of what does it mean to pass on our faith and even through discipline? That discipline is an important tool, an important resource for us as we set our children on a path in a direction to faith and moving them toward knowing Jesus. Even our mission statement here is to know Christ and to make Christ known. And so for us at home even, I want my children to know Christ intimately, to have a relationship when that continues to be developed over a lifetime and to also make him known that one of the things about being a mature disciple of Jesus is maturity means you reproduce. And so as Christians, as we reach maturity in our faith, one of the things that should be a hallmark, a trait of us as mature disciples of Jesus is that we're actually reproducing other disciples of Jesus. 
And if we're not reproducing other disciples of Jesus, then we need to look back and see what is it a part of our life? Where are we at in our life that we're not reproducing disciples of Jesus? Are we not talking about our faith or people not seeing the faith in us that they should want what we have? If we have a relationship with Jesus, they should be saying, I want what you've got. You've got a peace that passes understanding. You live life differently. You have a joy that no matter the circumstances, that's based upon the salvation that you have in Jesus Christ. And so as you live life, as we live life, people should be drawn to say, listen, I don't know what you've got, but I want that. And so that through that, through conversation, God does this miraculous thing and people join with us as disciples of Jesus. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And here this is Paul the Apostle talking to one of his disciples, his early mentors that he was talking to, Timothy. And Timothy was a young pastor and so Paul had been training him, mentoring him, and so now he's writing him letters because Timothy's pastoring a church, and he's giving him all these different, different things. He's been teaching him all kinds of different stuff. And then here toward the end of 2 Timothy, he just reminds him. He reminds him that his mom, as a great Jewish mom, had set him on a path and said, listen, this is what it looks like to be a follower of God. This is what it looks like to be a fearer of God. And so she kind of set this path, and so Paul's reminding him of that. And for a good Jewish family, they would even believe that, that a Jewish son or a Jewish daughter would much rather forget their name. It would be easier for them to forget their name than to forget the laws and the commandments they've been brought up with. Because from the very moment that they were born, everything about the Jewish home, when they ate, whenever, everything about their traditions in the home pointed everything to who God was and who they were as a people. So it would be much easier for them to forget their name than to forget the God that they worship. Second Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 14. But you, Timothy, must remain faithful to the things you've been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those, his parents, his grandparents, even his grandmother was a part of it, who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures. They were obviously in that day, they had the Old Testament, so they were teaching them that. They knew the commandments. They could tell you exactly what verse, whenever you'd say Exodus chapter 10, 20, they would be able to spout it out. That was one of their things. They could memorize the entire Old Testament. Most of us have a hard time memorizing our driver's license. Amen? Okay? And so they knew and understood the Old Testament. So whenever they're talking about training them up, they knew it. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood. And they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what true wisdom is. As we understand Scripture, there's all kinds of wisdom that we can take from different places. But true wisdom is found in the foundation of who Jesus Christ is, who God is. And it leads us to have a reverence and a fear for God and everything about him. All Scripture is inspired by God, literally breathe. God has breathed his breath in a scripture so that when you read this, it's a living and active document so that when you read it, it's going to change you. It's going to look at it from a mirror perspective. It's going to flash back to you who you are, and it's going to begin to change you. All scripture is God breathed or inspired by God and is useful for teaching. So parents, whenever you have your children and you come to the hospital, they don't give you a manual for how to raise your children, do they? If they were, it would be a book and it would have blank pages in it. And it's basically saying, good luck. Okay? Because, again, we've talked about each child is different. We would like to think that they're exactly the same, that we could cookie-cutter them and we could raise them the same, we could tell them the same things and, and encourage them in the same ways, but each child is different. So the only manual that we have to raise our children is this right here. 
And it is useful for teaching and correcting and placing our children upon the direction that they need to go. Imagine this. Some of you have been bowling before, and maybe some of you aren't very good at bowling. And so you get to the bowling alley, and you say, hey, would you guys put up those bumpers? You ever had that? Ever done that? Some of you are even good bowlers, and you're like, sometimes you just want the bumpers because it makes the game easier. You at least know that it's going to hit at least one or two pins. And that's what we are doing as parents. Whenever we teach and train up our children according to the Word of God, we're setting them upon a path and a safe place where they can make mistakes, okay, because they need to be able to make mistakes. But as they go along the way, they begin to veer off the path. We draw them back to the Word of God, and they kind of bump off of that. And it may be painful. It may hurt. There may be some discipline. But it's changing the direction of getting them to going where we know that they need to go. For us as parents, we have the end in mind. One of the things that some of my mentors have told me over the years is that, Chris, if you don't start something with the end in mind, you will never get to where you want to go. So as a father, to know where do you want to get your children to be? What is it that you want your children to look like? What are the characteristics and the qualities of what you want for your children? Begin with the end in mind. I was even this, even yesterday, whenever we were at, some of us were at Dr. Rick's a memorial service, and one of the things that spoke deeply to me in that moment is his children, his adult children, stood up and began to talk about him. They began to talk about how he had the end in mind. And as they stood up there, I was like, that is what it looks like to be a father that has an end in mind of I want to pass on my faith to my children and the words of encouragement, the words of discipline, the words along the way that it wasn't always perfect. The they admitted it wasn't perfect. He was still Dr. Rick. He still pushed the kids down in competitive spirit and never let them win. And, and but the ultimate deal was, is that he understood what it meant for them to know and to make Jesus Christ known. And for us as parents to say, listen, we're not going to be perfect. There's going to be those moments where we have to look at our kids and say, man, I've messed up, but here's the end in mind. And that imagine for us as parents in this moment. I'm watching his kids talk about his legacy. And I just thought, man, that is the end. Literally the end. And what would I want for my children? As they're standing up at my memorial and they're talking about me, what are they saying? What have I passed on? What have been the words of encouragement? What have been those moments of discipline where it was painful for both of us, but they understood that even in the pain of that, they trusted the Father that he was pointing them and moving in them in the direction of knowing Jesus and making him known. So for us, even on your notes, you have a stick figure. Back of your notes, look and say the end in mind. What is the end in mind? What do I desire? What are the characteristics? I want my children to be generous. I want my children to work hard. I want my children, all those different things. But underneath there, it's got to be, I want my children to know Jesus on a deep, intimate level. And what is it going to take for us to get our children to that place? All scripture is inspired and God breathed and is useful for teaching us what is true. It's a doctrine and morality. As we've talked about over the last few weeks, that the reason that we know what, what, what is true is because we, what is counterfeit, because we know what is true. Whenever you give someone a dollar bill, they know that that dollar bill, bill is counterfeit because they know exactly what the real thing looks like inside and out. So anything that's false about a counterfeit dollar, they'll be able to quickly pick it up. For our children to teach them what is true so that when counterfeit 
stuff comes in and they hear it, that they can go, there's something off about that. So they'll investigate and ask those questions so that they can know what is true. It corrects us. It's the plumb line. It's the standard. How do you know that the house is straight because you have the plumb line and the standard? Because if the foundation is off, the rest of the house doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how beautiful the house looks. If the foundation is wrong, it will crumble. When storms come, when tough times come, if your foundation is built upon anything else than Jesus Christ, it will crumble. And so for us as parents to make sure that it's not about just their intelligence, it's not about good grades, it's not about sports, it's not about their friends, it's not about how cool they look, it's not about the jobs that they pursue, it's about pursuing and knowing Jesus Christ. And if they build their life upon that, then everything else then gives purpose. Because our pursuit is Jesus Christ. It corrects us when we're wrong. And it teaches us to do what is right, moving our forward progress. For God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. I know all of us as parents, our desire is that someday our children will launch out of our house. And that that's what our goal is as parents, is we're preparing our children for adulthood. We're giving them opportunities to go to school and to make friends. And we don't know what happens for about eight hours a day. We get reports back, but we don't really know. But all those times, everything else in those times of moments when we have time to prepare our children, it's so when they do go away and they come back, we can talk about those things and gain knowledge of where they're at and what they're doing. It's because one day they're going to go off and they're not coming back. They're going to be adults. They're going to have a job. They're going to get married. And the foundation that you set in the short season that we have them is extremely important. 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 through 17 is a great passage for us to understand that God gives us these things to teach our children, to correct them, to rebuke them in those moments, a rebuking and a correcting in a way that brings reconciliation so that that prepares them for when they go out into adulthood that they have a place, they have a purpose, and they have a foundation on which to build their life upon. Because as adults, if we know nothing else, we have had great plans that have failed. Am I right? Anybody failed as an adult? No, none of you have failed. That's awesome. <clears throat> All right, we got perfect people in here. I only invited no perfect parents in here, okay? So if you've always been perfect, that's great. But we understand that there's going to be moments when you make plans and it is not going to work out like you think. But you can go back to, if nothing else, you can go back to your foundation of faith and saying, listen, we're going to start here, remind ourselves of where we're at and what our purpose is, and we're going to rebuild. We're going to move forward. So this morning, as we continue this time together, I want to invite my wife up, and she's not perfect either, but she's going to give us some insight so that you can have some womanly insight into some of these things. And so there's a chair, Becky, you can pull that up. As you think about this idea of parenting as she comes up, I want to throw a couple ideas at you, is that discipline is not something that we do to our children, okay? It's not something that we do to our children, it's something that we do for them. All right. As parents, again, we have a, a goal in mind. We're putting them in a direction and a path. And so in those moments when they disobey, in those moments when they're not quite where we want them to be, we're not doing it to them saying, hey, you're, but it's like, listen, we're trying to set you in a path to move you forward. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. I know I'm talking fast. We've got a lot to get through. Discipline your children while there is hope. Otherwise, you will ruin their lives. In other words, while you have them in your house, when you have that moment, there's still hope to invest and to train them up. Discipline is a course correction, 
motivated by a healthy love. Again, the idea of we put those bumpers up when we're bowling, it's going to bump those things and it's going because we know where we want them to go and where we want them to be. It's a course correction with a healthy love. An unhealthy love doesn't correct. An unhealthy love is lazy. An unhealthy love is more about me than even my kids. It's about my convenience. It's um, course correction that's motivated by a healthy love. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and 6, talk about discipline being um, a positive thing and that those that love their children discipline their children. Those that don't love their children with a healthy love don't discipline them. All right, so you've got your stick figure in front of you, writing down some of those thoughts, some of those ideas of what you got. We're going we're gonna to kind of talk. We've got some ideas here that we want to present to you and think through. And um, we've rehearsed this a little bit, but who knows? We'll see what happens. You never know with me, right? So, um, so again, we're not perfect parents. We've made some mistakes. Yes, I know. Our kids are in here. Our kids are in here. They know that we're not perfect parents. Um, and so unhealthy parenting models and um, some ways that, um, again, not that we have done this, but what we have seen in others. Now, if you don't know, Becky has been a youth worker for at least five years and um, has been a teacher for at least 45 years. Feels no, like okay. feels like it some days. Yeah, for a long time as well. And so she's seen this and understand it. I was in youth ministry for 15 years. And so um, we've been a part of all this. And I'm honestly, again, one of the ways that we've learned um, best how not to do it is because we try to do it in many ways. We try to do it opposite of the way our parents did it, um, good and bad. And then also working with students for so long, so many different things that we, were, we would see, we would come back and talk about and say, hey, this is some things that, that we want to incorporate. And then here's some things that we don't want to incorporate as we understand what Scripture talks about as far as um, healthy parenting. So the first one we, is unhealthy model is um, I'm your best friend model. And so you've seen that. Maybe you've pursued that. And that um, a parent that wants to be their child's best friend. Well, and honestly, your kid only gets one set of parents. How many other friends do they have out there? You know, it's your job to be their parent, not their friend. Your kid's not going to like you 100% of the time. And then that means you're doing something right. My kids like me all the time. Well... I know, because you're, you're th- their friends. <laughs> but there comes those moments. If you're their friend and you're pursuing that friendship, that it's difficult to say no. It's difficult to be tough when you need to be tough. And it's difficult to pursue that idea of healthy love and of motivating and moving your children. Uh, because you don't want your children, you don't want to lose a friend. And so in those moments when you have to do the hard things, to do that. And so we've seen it over and over and over again. And um, it it's never ends up in a good way. Eventually that friendship, the parent gets to the point where they have to break that friendship. And um, it's extremely messy breakup to do that. Um, one of the other ones is a helicopter parent. And this is the, um, I see a lack of trust. And so the parents literally, they hover over the kids. And so they tell us their, their kids how to think, how to act, what to do. And they never allow them the freedom to make mistakes. I see this a lot in my classroom and my teacher friends and I even talk about those helicopter parents are constantly hovering over their kid, watching their every move and just to, so they don't mess up. They don't have that opportunity to make mistakes. And as we all know, if you don't make mistakes, you're not learning something. A lot of this is tied to our self-image is that there's those moments. I think about this whenever a child, I see a parent getting crazy at a ball game and they're fired up and it's because they're living their 
their dreams, their athletic dreams or whatever through their kids. And um, it's built around their perceived self-image of how they want everybody to see their kids because it impacts what they think people view of themselves. And um, not that any of you would ever yell at umpires or anything like that. Um, no? Okay, good. Don't, don't go to me with games. <laughs> um, the other parenting is guilty parenting, is that you, you're guilt, you feel guilty about something. And so as you feel guilty, whether it could be a divorce, it could be something that you did and your kids know about it or whatever. Or, and so you just feel guilty. And so out of that guilt, you continue to give and to give and to give and in such a way that it's unhealthy, that your kids, you look up and all of a sudden your kids have everything in the world that they could possibly want. And it's not out of any other motivation than that you feel guilty and you want your kids to, um, and you don't want to feel guilty. That's happened to us a couple of times when we've been in financial situations and we were able to give our kids the birthday party or whatever that we felt they needed to have. And then all of a sudden we had some money and we're like, hey, let's do that birthday party. And boy, howdy, we went overboard and we knew it right then and there. And it just, it almost left an icky taste in my mouth because we knew it was out of the guilt that we had because we couldn't do it for them when we wanted to kind of thing. And so, um, but yeah, like Chris said, we're, we're not perfect. I was really nervous when he asked me to come up and share with you guys. I'm like, but Chris, they're going to know you don't do it right. And he said, that's okay. I've tweeted out this week, no perfect parents allowed. So I was like, Shoo. okay. Yeah. And, and, and we understand too that we already live in a fishbowl. And so our kids, one of the things we talk about with our kids is you just live life. You can't worry about what other people think about you just because you're a pastor's kid. You just, we're training you in the way that you should go, and there's going to be things that other people think that are important that mom and dad are going to say, you know what, as we've talked about, as we've prayed about, as we made these decisions, they can be important to other people, but they're not important to us. They're not faith important, okay? Now, they may be your pastor kid important, but it, that doesn't matter to me. So, sorry, don't want to hurt your feelings. Um, the other one is forked tongue, is that you have divided parents and divided um, and so you've probably had this where your child comes to the, mo- the mom and asks for something or whatever and works the mom. And then next thing you know, mom's saying no. And then they go to dad and dad says, sure, why not? And this is extremely important that you are on an, a, um, a front where you're in agreement when it comes to disciplining your children. Whether you guys, um, mom and dad live in the same house or they don't or whatever the situation may be because those kids are smart and they know that they can play one against the other and they'll figure out who says yes to what and who says no to what in my household when I was growing up if I wanted money I went to see my dad I never asked my mom for money but if I wanted to go out with a guy I would go ask my mom I would never ask my dad and so amen I mean it was just that it was because I knew how to play the game and your kids figured out so quickly so no matter what your relationship is here You've got to be on the same page when it comes to disciplining those kids because you're not doing them any favors. Communication. And as I talk to couples, marriage counseling, pre-marriage counseling, that's the number one thing that we talk about is communication. And um, that you've got to be clear and you've got to talk through and you've got to find a time. And, again, one of the techniques that I teach that has worked for us is in those moments where you've got a topic and maybe it's something like, hey, your kid wants to go do whatever – and, as, you know, instead of saying, hey, yeah, saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to talk to mom about it. And we do that, and we take a time out. Becky and I find a time, hey, Lauren wants to do this. Landon wants to do this. And so, hey, can we talk about that at 5 o'clock today? 
because um, we, we need to be able to sit down and talk and make sure that we're talking about the same thing. And we sit, sit down and, and talk through those things. And sometimes she's right, sometimes I'm right, and sometimes we're both wrong. And, um, but we pursue at least a front together of, listen, we're going to, yes, you can do this, or no, you can't do this, and moving forward. And, um, but communication is obviously a key for that. Um, another one that I'm seeing more and more is um, TV parenting, and that's an inconsistent. It's real easy. Um, that what I, how I describe that is that your kids have a better view and understanding of what parenting is and what a household looks like through Disney and Nick, Nickelodeon than they do through their own household. And, um, and listen, we're busy people. We're, we're going and coming and doing. But for your children to have an understanding of what a family is, um, is, it's not your family. And they're living a false family. Again, it's not leave it to beaver anymore. It's not um, fathers knows best. It's Brady not huh, who? Bunch. Oh, the Brady Bunch. We're not even at the Brady Bunch or the Partridge family. I mean, we're, we're at um, truly at parenthood. We're at some weird things that we're calling, you know, normal, okay? And so for us as parents to be able to spend some time, and that probably means that we need to turn off the TV more often than we do. Any words on that? Or are you like, no, you're no, good? You, you did good. Okay. And then finally, an unhealthy parenting model is lifeguard parenting, is that you're always rescuing. Go ahead. Well, and I, again, see this a lot in my classroom when projects are due or even in my own household, and my children or my students come oh my gosh, I only have like one day. And I go, uh-huh, it was assigned six weeks ago. I know, but I only had one night to get, uh-huh, okay. And their parent does it for them. Or my children are freaking out because it's midnight and theirs is due. And, I'm, and what do I say? Sorry, you've had this for six weeks. You've got to do it on your own. And it's hard to watch your kids fail at something when you know they could do so much better. But guys, if you rescue them every single time, they're not going to learn how to stand on their own two feet. They're not going to learn how to become time management experts. They're not going to know how to deal with life when it's thrown at them and you're not there with the lifeguard tube to rescue them. You've got to let them fail as much as it hurts. I don't like it. It breaks my heart when my children fail. And it has to do, again, with our self-image, right? If your child makes a D, what are you not doing at home? And so imagine with me, I like to think of it as, you know, our, whenever, every day that we send out our children, we put them on a, a tightrope, and we're having them walk that tightrope. And for now, when they're in our home, that there's a safety net and that there's going to be those moments where they make a misstep and they take their focus off of what they should be taking their, um, off their eyes, off of what they should be focused on. And in that moment, they lose their balance and they fall. As parents, we're there with a safety net to catch them. They don't fall all the way, but we catch them and say, hey, what, what happened? What are the consequences here in a safe place? And um, a lifeguard parent. So let's look at some of the biblical principles as far as a healthy parenting. Um, one is this, is expect first-time cheerful obedience. And that as parents, when you ask your children to do something, the, the biblical model is, is that children respond. That whenever God the Father asks us to do something, he expects us to respond. And so in our household, um, we expect first time, hey, today's the day to clean your room. We're even moving to a point where I don't even need to be asking that you should know these are the days, these are the times when you should be doing that stuff. And if you don't, then there's going to be consequences. Any... I'm just shocked. First time cheerful, cheerful obedience? Yeah, cheerful. Does that really happen? It can, I hear. Okay. Like no, no stomping of the feet yeah. and all that. Or, yeah. Mom. Yeah. yeah. 
They always tell me, Dad, I'm so glad I get to clean my room and take out the trash. Oh, because you're their best friend. It could be. Okay. All right. The next one is to discipline promptly with instruction. Like, tell them why they're being disciplined. No matter the age, get down on their level, begin to talk to them and explain to them why they're being, because that way it's not just because daddy said so, but why is dad saying so? Why is mom saying this? Again, because you have an end in mind. Listen, whenever I ask you to clean your room and you're to have it done by Saturday, you don't get to do anything. This is about what? And you explain that to them and give them the reasons. Because again, what are we trying to do? We're trying to launch them out into adulthood and they need to understand that there's a why behind what we're doing and a purpose for that. Good. Good? All right, awesome. Um, Discipline toward reconciliation. This is the idea of quickly restoring relationships. Have you ever been to that point where you've disciplined and your kids go into the room and they throw a fit and they slam the door and they're like, I hate you, I don't want to blah, 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 and you've got that whole thing and and understand it. And what's interesting to us is in those moments, imagine that that how many times we've done that with God. God, you want me to do what? And we stomp off, we get angry, and we slam the door, and we're like, God, I'm done with you for right now. You're asking me something that I don't want anything to do with. I don't understand it. I'm tired of it, and I'm moving on. And so as parents in those moments, are saying, listen, hey, slow down. Let your children be angry, process that, but then come back to them and say, listen, here's why. I want to draw you back to a relationship with me. Because all throughout Scripture, whenever God disciplines, it's not a discipline is important, but the whole part of it is to draw us back, to draw his children back, to a deeper, more intimate relationship with God the Father and God the Son. And for us as well, as our children are getting older, and again, not perfect, but those moments of when we have to discipline and bringing them back and saying, listen, do you understand why I did this? Do you understand why we have to do this? And for them to to dialogue with us and to understand that, it's extremely important for the restoration of the relationship. And then last but not least in the healthy parenting is to never discipline in anger. And so um, you've probably seen it. If you've gone to Walmart, you've seen it, I'm sure. Um, It seems like Walmart's the place. But public settings (laughs) where your kids embarrass you, okay? And so in those moments of embarrassment or anger or whatever, refuse to to discipline in such a way and say, listen, when we get home, we're going to handle this, or when we get to the car, we're going to handle this, or take them to the bathroom and handle it. But um, in those moments, to allow yourself to just stop, to slow down, to to say, why am I angry? Is it a just anger or is it an anger over the fact that I'm embarrassed or, or whatever in those moments? Um, and then we, as we, again, as we, okay, you can talk. Thank you. Um, I have, no, one of the most heartbreaking moments for me as a teacher is um, I have taught eighth grade my entire teaching career and I love eighth graders. And I know some of y'all look at me like I'm crazy and I may be and that's okay. But through, through teaching, I am able to build relationships with these students and um, that's my number one priority actually with these students is to build that relationship and um, some of us think that you know it's easier not to discipline I'm too tired to discipline that's why they're watching TVs I'm too tired I've worked all day I came home I cooked dinner I'm done I cannot function anymore when that kid needs you and it goes along with that don't discipline in anger but you discipline out of love I had a student tell me one time they were talking about being out late or whatever. I'm like, well, what's your curfew? I don't have one. You Eighth tell, grade. You're telling me you're 13, 14 years old, and you don't have a curfew? No. Why? Because 
My mom doesn't care about me. She doesn't care what I do. She doesn't care when I come home. She doesn't care when I leave. She doesn't care if I eat or if I don't eat or whatever. So she doesn't love me. Wow. To have a 13, 14-year-old look at me and tell me that is very heartbreaking. Disciplining your children out of love is what they need. And honestly, they crave it. They want to know you love them. Sorry, that was a little hard. And one of the things that, that we enjoy most is that we love for our house to have tons of kids. And, and we're new, so people don't know us yet. But um, in Denver, we would have tons of people over. And one of the things that our kids would come back to us time and time again is like, Mom and Dad, my friends love coming to our house. And they don't know why. But they just love coming to our house. And I can tell you why. It was a safe place. We hugged a lot. We laughed a lot. We played games a lot. And we let our kids be our kids. And so that's what my prayer is for, that Christian homes should be a place that when people that don't know Jesus, when they walk in, that they sense that there's something different about that house. Not a perfect house. It may not be the best-looking house. But when they walk in, that they sense that there's a Spirit of God resides within this place. And you may not even have a cross up in the entire place, but they know that there's something different and that kids crave boundaries. They crave a healthy love. They crave healthy relationships. And so, again, one of our mentors told us early on that your kids should see you discuss life at moments, whenever there's some, you have discussions as, as husband and wife that you need to discuss those things. Now, some of them need to go behind closed doors, but your kids need to see healthy relationships. Your kids need to see you husbands and wives. They need to see you kissing in the, in the kitchen. And our kids hate that, okay? And I'm like, listen, we, you need to see that mom and dad love one another, and this is what healthy love looks like. This is what a healthy relationship looks like. And so, again, here's some principles that we want you to see. And so we've done some creative parenting over the years. And um, as we close out, we're just going to share a couple. I told you last week, one of my children um, wasn't obedient, didn't do what, he was, what they were supposed to do. <laughs> Dang it. We tried so hard. I told him we were talking about him, but I wouldn't tell him who it was. So he or she didn't respond <clears throat> like they should be. And so throughout the day, their punishment was, since you didn't respond first time expectation from now on for the rest of the day, when I say jump, I want you to jump. And they were like, right. And I'm like, seriously. Because you don't want to know the consequences if you don't jump when I ask you to jump. And so throughout the day, we were doing different things and never embarrassed or whatever. But I'd go, hey, jump. And they were like, boom, you know, jumping. And, and at the end of the day, I was like, okay, so what did we learn? I need, to, I need to respond the first time and that whole thing. And so, again, it got through. Um, we also do, whenever the kids were arguing and fighting, we would do. Well, and um, we shared this again last week, too, where they would, you know, fully clothed, no water in the bathtub, but they had to stand inside the bathtub and hug each other and tell each other that they loved each other. And they quit arguing immediately because they're laughing so hard. I mean, you can't be angry at somebody standing in the bathtub, right. especially your sibling trying to yeah. hug. Oh, that was, that's painful for them. It is, yeah. And so now all we have to say, do y'all need to get to the note? We're good. We're good. We got this. We like, they, like, hug each other outside in the hallways and stuff, so... <laughs> Another one is we call it uh, songs of endearment. And so there are those moments, you know, like on a car ride or something and your kids are fighting or whatever. And so I would just start singing. And, um, and I, some of you know I don't sing very well, <clears throat> which adds to the fun. And so one of my songs that we just broke out one time and I was like, happy pants, they make me dance. 
And I just started ripping off this whole course. I can't even remember it. The kids remember it. And, and so I'm up there like, happy pants, they make me dance. And I'm going on. And they're like, shut up. And I'm like, until you get happy in this moment, I'm going to keep singing. And they're like, we're happy. We're happy. <laughs> and so anytime that they have those moments where they want to separate and they fight, I'm just like, happy pants. They're like, okay, Dad, we get it. We get it. And then um, one of our children sometimes just, just needs a pick-me-up. And so I begin just singing. I'm like, skinny marinky dinky dink, skinny marinky do. And they're like, and I'm like, if you don't start smiling and don't get happy, I'm going to keep singing and louder. And so sometimes even like whenever we get to school, I like roll down the window. And I'm like, as they're walking off, I'm like, skinny marinky dinky dink. <laughs> and all their friends are like, what's happening? And they're like, oh, but they're walking away with a smile and understanding that mom and dad. Um, we've had some fun moments at school. For those kind of things. Um, here, here's one that we can, I'm sure some of you have done this before. Well, I don't know my personal experience, but apparently my mom tells me that I had a really sassy mouth um, when I was growing up. And that's the only thing that I really got in trouble for was my sass. And so there have been many times that she had to wash my mouth out with soap because that was just ugly what was inside there. She had to clean that out. One of my children decided that it was okay to sass me. And I'm like, oh, you know, when my mom prayed that I would have kids just like she did. Yes, she cursed me, okay? So here we go. We got Bless this. you. Bless you. Yes, bless me. Thank you. Um, sassing me, and I'm like, you know, I've had enough. I had, you do it again, and then it happens. Okay, we're going to the bathroom. And back then, when I was a kid, they didn't have liquid soap yet. They just had bar soap. Well, now there's liquid soap. And can I just tell you, that works wonders. Um, it, and I know some people think that that's not okay to do, but let me tell you, it works. Clean that mouth right up, and the sass... I mean, I still get it every once in a while. And now that kid doesn't eat fruit or vegetables because oh, it was like a bath and body soap. That's that true. That's true. It's good. So be careful. Like, give it broccoli or something like that. <laughs> um, you know, one oh, time I had, a, had one of my kids, wrote a, I wrote a sentence for him, and it was a paragraph, and it was really long, and it took him two days to complete. No, but why? Huh? Why did you write that? Because they were, they were being mean to mom and to everyone else. Verbally and abusive is the word I would like to use towards not nice. the mom and the sibling. And so that child got to write a really long sentence. A hundred times. Through much of tears. Three days. Yeah. And it was honestly, it was more punishment for us than them, but anyway. It changed. Uh, it did change. That attitude changed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Fourth grade was a rough year for one of our kids. And then... Um, one, one time, our kids, we decided we were going to pick out their clothes for them for an entire two weeks. Well, they weren't doing their chores when they were supposed to do them. Yeah. Clothes were everywhere, all over the floor. And I got tired right. of trying to figure out. So I took them all away, and I issued clothing for that day. No choice in your clothing for that day. No so. choice in your PJs for that evening either for two weeks. So you think you're big stuff, but I choose your clothes. So that was a big deal. Yeah. And then um, finally, we had one child that was at a point where they thought they were better than everything else. Mm-hmm. And so they came off the field and they're like, all my teammates stink. And we lost because of so-and-so. And I was like, oh, really? Run till I'm tired. <laughs> and they looked at me and they were like, what? And I'm like, we win as a team. We lose as a team. We encourage our team. And all this and kind of went through the whole thing. I was like, you run till I'm tired. And uh, they ran a long time because I can drink sweet tea for a long time. (laughs) Say all this to say, listen, 
None of us are perfect. Becky and I have made plenty of mistakes. But again, our purpose, our number one priority is to pass on our faith to our children. And the reason that we discipline the way that we do and the things that we've done is because we have an idea of what it takes to get our children there. And um, because we, we want our children to be generous. We want our children to respect their elders. We want our children to work hard. We want our children to understand that even if mom and dad's not there, even if another adult that knows them is not there, that they, who they truly are is who they are when no one else is around. And so all those different characteristics and qualities, all that stuff is important as we drive our children to know Christ and to make him known. And that the best way that we know how to do that is to take our children back time after time after time to the Scripture and say, listen, the reason for correction, the reason for rebuking, the reason, here's the standard. And it's not just a made-up standard. It's a standard by which God teaches us to raise up our children and what it looks like to have a Christian home. Because for me as the father of the house, I'm the spiritual leader of the home, and it stops with me. Men, it stops with us. We cannot abdicate our role to be the spiritual leaders of the house. And I know that we may not have grown up in a household where that was taught to you, but that doesn't mean that you can't ask for counsel. It doesn't mean that you can't ask for advice. It doesn't mean that you can't dig into here. And it doesn't mean that you can't get into a community of other men and say, hey, what are you doing to pass on your faith to your children? Because I haven't had this modeled for me, but I want to pass this on. And there's too many of us as men in particular that we've abdicated our role of leadership, especially in raising up our children. And it's been we've chosen convenience over passion for Jesus Christ. So listen, you're not going to be perfect, but pursue Jesus. And as you pursue Jesus, train up your children as best you can so that they know that they know that they know that you love them and that the way that you discipline, the reason you discipline is motivated by love for them. And when you make mistakes, say, I'm sorry. Say, I'm sorry. It's okay. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, we do come to you as as imperfect people, as imperfect parents who have a model of a perfect parent. You have sacrificed everything for us. Your patience and your long-suffering is perfect. Your timing is always exactly right on. Even when we think it's too long, it's exactly right. Or it's too short, it's exactly right. The discipline that you measure out for us is always motivated by love, never in anger, and always disciplines to restore us back to a relationship with you. So, Father, for us as parents and grandparents, whether we're whatever our family situation looks like, Father, there's grace in that. And just for us to say, whether it's a single family, a blended family, whatever it looks like, grandparent family, Father, nothing is perfect on this side of heaven. And so we can make excuses all we want. But, Father, as disciples of Jesus, that are called to be parents and grandparents and step-parents, that we're going to pursue you and in pursuing you as in those roles, Father, that we're going to direct our children and set them on a course to know you in a deeper, more intimate way. And, Father, in those moments when we're tired, 
in those moments when we're discouraged, in those moments where we may feel alone, where we feel like we're the only parent saying no and every other parent is saying yes, that, Father, that we would stand by the standard of Jesus Christ, that we would stand by the standard and the plumb line of your word and say, listen, I don't care what everyone else in the culture, I don't care what all of your friends are doing or saying and letting their parents do. I am your parent. And God has, has given me you. And I'm blessed. I have no greater responsibility in this season than to pass on what I know about my, my Savior, Jesus Christ. So there's going to be some moments that are painful and that hurt. But to know that the end is so that my children at my memorial service will say, my dad loved me and he disciplined me in that way and he encouraged me when I was down. But I know that my dad, I know that my mom, I know that my grandparents were wholly pursuing Jesus as they tried to raise me up. And man, they made mistakes. But I know that they love Jesus and they love me. And dear Lord, we know that all most of the stuff that we are frustrated by in this world and in our culture and our nation starts in our homes. And so I pray for the fathers in this room that you would give them the courage, Lord, that even today, that if a dad doesn't know you, hasn't said yes to having a relationship with you, that, that today's that day that they would say yes. Or if they do know you and they've just kind of abdicated that, that today they would stand here and they would stand strong in this moment and say, at this moment now, Jesus, I stand in the gap for my family and I will, I will pursue raising my children up. And for mothers, and in those moments of all the things that they take care of, that we would see women that are Proverbs 31 women, that they are just, they're just amazing. The women that you give to us, Father. But even in those moments when they're tired from the day, that you would give them the courage. That moms and dads would be communicating together to raise up their children. Father, I pray that in this place here, that from this place, a ripple effect of homes that are saying, we are not going to abdicate our relationship. We're not going to abdicate our responsibility to raise our children and what it looks like to be a Christian home. That our home will be a lighthouse. Our home will be a salt factory. We're going we're gonna to take salt wherever we can, that we can bring flavor to the world. I'm tired of culture trying to tell us that we're flavorless when we are actually the ones bringing flavor. We're not going to buy into those lies anymore as we pursue you.